0: Well, our scripture today is from James, and it's, it's uh, from chapter one, it's just two verses, 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted in the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. So now you've actually heard that scripture twice, the call to worship, if you notice the what was happening, and then again in the scripture. And unbeknownst to Pastor Sharla, I brought show-and-tell with me today uh, because I went on the Wesley Pilgrimage. We both own one of these. It's a John Wesley bobblehead. If you don't know, John Wesley is considered the founder of the United Methodist Church. Uh, And today we are going to do a Methodism, so I thought it was appropriate. And then this is, a, this is a cup that I got at the Wesley Museum in London, and it, uh, it has John on one side and then someone you've never heard of on the back. His name is Alexander Kilham. He was also born in Epworth in 1762, 60 years after John, and the cup says he was the first reformer of the Methodist movement, and then I have some pictures and postcards, and I put them in a basket, uh, so you guys could look at them if you wanted to, but uh, the um, Wesley pilgrimage was hugely significant for me in my life uh, while I was going through the ordination process, And I encourage anyone who has a desire to spend 10 days in England uh, traveling around the country with about 35 other people with a Wesleyan expert who uh, sort of makes, uh, makes John Wesley's history and the movement of Methodist Church come alive. Uh, as we wrap up our sermon series today, uh, Pastor Charlotte came up with a couple of phrases, and so I want, to, I want you to complete them for me. Put your money where your mouth is. If you're going to talk the talk, you've got to Oh my gosh, you guys are so good. Uh, here's the thing. We know what that means, right? That's become enough part of our culture that we all know the responses to those phrases. And don't you wish that we lived in a world where people actually did what they say they were going to do? John and I have been having contractors come to the house, and uh, they'll tell us the day before. Everybody's, you've reacted, and I haven't even finished. It's this uh, this thing, right? They say, I'll be there at 9 o'clock, and by 11, I am fuming because they are still not there. So doing what you say matters. And the author of James, the scriptures that we read today, he really, um, he really emphasizes this concept that when we say we are one thing, we need to walk the talk, right? Um, so today, I, our we're doing the Methodist movement. Last week we did the Reformation, and we talked about Martin Luther. And Martin Luther despised the Book of James. Uh, he, he called it an epistle of straw. Right? <laughs> In that time, those were very strong words. Uh, but our uh, reformer for today is John Wesley, and John Wesley loved the Book of James. That's why we chose it for the scripture. In his journal, he wrote that James is a remedy against the general temptation of leaving off good works in order to increase faith. Uh, he's saying that we can't spend all our time sitting around reading the Bible and talking about being better Christians if we don't live some of that out in our life. Uh, He is crystal clear, the author of James, is that faith and works go hand in hand. He says very clearly, one without the other is worthless. So John Wesley and Martin Luther would disagree on some things, but they would agree on many things. They were both uh, steeped in the traditions of the faith. And we have, um, we have here the branches. And he, uh, neither one of them intended to start a new church. And then they both did, right? <laughs> uh, they changed the trajectory of the church with a lowercase c. So we're going to look at our timeline here of the early Christianity. We remember the big schism between the Orthodox and the Catholics, and then we hit the Reformation, and they have uh, Restorationism, Anabaptism, Protestantism, Anglic- Anglicanism, um, and the Anglican Church or the Church of England is the one that um, is the one that Methodism comes from. Uh, The Church of England or the Anglican Church looks a lot like the Roman Catholic Church. The only difference is that the uh, monarch in England is the head of the church. So what they did by separating from the Roman Catholic Church is they removed the authority of the Pope over the monarch. And so they kept the practices and the buildings and the priest and all of the structure, but they changed the name to the Church of England. Now, there's a lot of history there that's fascinating, but we don't have time for that. Uh, But, (laughs) so John Wesley was born in 1703. He was the 15th of 19 children born to Samuel and Susanna Wesley. Yeah, right? Can you imagine? Uh, his father was an ordained priest in the Church of England, and John grew up a preacher's kid. Now, some of my favorite stories about John Wesley's life reveal what helped shaped his ministry. And so one of those stories is that while his father, the priest, was in debtor's prison, okay, so when you have 19 children, and you have one salary as a priest, sometimes you can't meet all your financial obligations. And so if you had a debt that wasn't paid, like a credit card, you had to sit in prison until that debt was paid rather than have credit like we do now. Can you imagine the world if that uh, was still true today? Uh, But so um, some people complained to... uh, to John's father, that Susanna, his mother, who also homeschooled all of the children, that Susanna was teaching a Bible study while her husband was gone in prison and they couldn't have regular services. So she invited everyone to the parsonage and would teach Bible classes. Well, there were those who wrote to uh, Samuel and said, that's a woman you know, teaching men, and that's a no-no, and so so Samuel wrote from prison to (laughs) Susanna and told her to stop. I love this. Her response is, when God tells me to stop, I will stop, okay? So the reason I love this story is it reveals so much about their life. One, that they were very close to poverty. They understood what it was to be poor and the consequences of that. Two, that, that John, Saul, and his mother... That that you listen for God's authority even when there is criticism and possible retribution, right, from her from Susanna's husband and the community. The fact that the Bible studies were growing and people were coming, she thought was evidence of the Holy Spirit, and she said, "I've got to listen to God in the face of this adversity." And 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 so John Wesley, he uh, he let women preach and encouraged women to preach, and um, he knew that lay leadership. Was significant for the movement, uh, 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 the reformation of sorts of the Anglican Church. So, another story that's very famous about John mm-hmm. is that there the Epworth parsonage caught on fire. And so he was trapped in the house, and they were counting all the children, uh, and they realized that John was still in the house, and he comes to the, like, attic window, and the neighbors gather up, and, and they, they save him. And so then he was told that he was saved for a divine purpose and that God must intend something great from him. And so can you imagine as an elementary age child to be told that, that your life was spared because God has a divine purpose for you? And so that had to have influenced who he was and the choices he made. And then the third story is... Uh, I can't go into for very long, but there's so much to tell you, but I'm just going to tell you this, that when John was growing up, his mother, they gardened for a lot of their food, but she also had a separate place you can still visit that's a healing garden where she grew plants that people knew helped, like Like, we might grow an aloe vera plant for burns, right? And so she did a lot of doctoring of all of the children and people in the the neighborhood. And then when John was an adult, he actually wrote a, a tract or a book you can buy on healing. And what happened was doctors at that time, they believed in bleeding people and leeches and things like that, right? But doctors at that time criticized John and said, you are not a trained doctor. You need to stop. And his response was... No, (laughs) well, yeah, it should have been. His response was, I have never lost a patient, and can you say the same thing? Right? Uh, So, John... uh, John had this deep want to help people that he got from his mother, right? And his own needs, health needs and uh, uh, food and things like that. But luckily, they were very well educated. Uh, He follows in his father's footsteps. He becomes an ordained priest in the Church of England. He goes to Oxford. He gets a fellowship. He teaches. So from a young age, he, he desired more from the church that he was a part of than than he was getting, right? He never intended to start a new church. He wanted to reform the church that he loved. He felt that the church had restricted access to those who needed the church the most, and so he uh, started helping the poor, meet, meeting basic needs for people. He said the widows and the orphans needed our money and our help, and he started ways to help them. He, uh, he and his brother Charles and some friends from Oxford started the Holy Club and a prison ministry while they were still in school. He, uh, if you go to Bath, they talk about how the stonemasons came to build all those fancy buildings and how he got in a whole lot of trouble because he he brought books and he taught the mason's children how to read, which he didn't do. Only the upper class were taught to read, right? So he was doing all these things that he knew could help people get out of poverty and be good for them, uh, but that were not uh, we're not acceptable, right? Yeah, and he thought this was so important to educate children. Uh, action was the mark of his movement. Uh, the book of James, of course, says to live your faith out with works. One of the things that I loved on the Wesley pilgrimage, and I mentioned maybe this last week, is that every church we went to would have this fancy stone carved that John Wesley preached here with this date because, because of who he is now. And but then they'd say, and then he was asked to never come back. Right. <laughs> he made the, he made people feel uncomfortable. He challenged them. He was prophetic right? On who they should be as Christians. And so he said, he knew that preaching changed lives. It was uh, his major emphasis that became part of the Methodist movement was, one, that preaching changes lives. And he preached as often as he could within the church and in open fields. And there's actually a picture of his father's grave because he was told to never preach at Epworth again. And he said, but I own this piece of property. And he stood on his father's grave and he preached from the top of the grave. Um, He preached in open fields. He preached outside where the miners came out of the mines. Uh, Any place people would hear him. It's reported that he rode over 250,000 miles on horseback to preach in different places. If you visit his home, he was so much more comfortable on a horse than he was in a chair. He had a chair built that resembles sitting on a horse, and it has a little place for uh, the Bible or a book uh, to be, and so he, <laughs> you straddle it, and then it has this little thing <laughs> because he was more comfortable that way. Uh, so, and the second thing that was significant to the movement is once he preached and people were saved, he knew that it was important they be in small groups, faith groups, and they had accountability, and they, um, they encouraged each other to be faithful, and he knew that um, in order to live a life for Christ, that we need to grow deeper in our faith. Most of you have heard the general rules of the group, three simple rules, do no harm, which is do no harm, right? <laughs> Don't do anything you know is wrong. The second rule was do all the good that you can to everyone that you can. And the third one was stay in love with God. Do the spiritual disciplines. Read your Bible. Pray. Fast. Uh, what am I leaving now? Prayer. Uh, attending worship, he said you should take communion as often as you can. He didn't offer it. He said go to church for that, right? Um, and then the third thing that's so significant about the movement was the singing. Charles Wesley, his brother, um, was part of this movement, and he was a hymn writer, and uh, And the Wesley's uh, singing. Uh, we still sing many of the songs that Charles wrote today. The ones probably most familiar would be, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, Hark the Herald Ain't. Now, if I was really good, I would sing for you, but I'm not good. Uh, Christ the Lord has risen today. We sing every Easter Sunday, A Charge to Keep I Have. Right? These, are, these are part of the history of who we are in this movement that happened in the 1700s. And so one of the things that is so beautiful about the Methodist movement that John Wesley was so good at saying, we are not either or, we are both and. Uh, He said we are uh, both in love with God, with our intellect, but we are also passionate about the Holy Spirit. We are called to repent or be converted, and we are called to live a life of holiness. Uh, We grow deeper with God on the inside and that growth should be evident on the outside. He says God is gracious and offers us forgiveness and love, but expects us to react to that by offering those gifts to others, right? Uh, He says the the communion table, the Lord's table is open, open to everyone and take it as often as you can, but he doesn't say take it lightly that it's powerful and significant, right? And so uh, when I went on the Wesley pilgrimage, I I fell in love again with Methodism, this idea of movement, this idea of feeding and helping and and teaching. and They didn't have any pews. They had chairs like you have, so their rooms could be used for lots of different things. Um, And so our future, the thing that we inherited from this early movement of Methodism are uh, these things, the first one is the proximity to the least of these. That's where the movement was found, at the prison, at the stonemasons' uh, huts and, and tents where the kids were. Uh, these things were outside the comfort zone. People gave up their sources of power and met the needs of the poor. Uh, uh, John Wesley said to save all you can and and but he also said to give all you can. There's a beautiful story about how he bought some prints for his room and then he found a need with a widow and he and he Regretted buying the prints for his room because he could have helped another person if he hadn't done that, right? And so as Methodists, we like the earn all you can and save all you can part of that, but we we flinch at the give all you can part of that. Uh, um, And then the second thing that shaped our future was this idea that the laity were the leaders. There weren't a lot of preachers that were part of this movement. The laity organized, the laity led, the laity taught. Uh, They did pastoral care. John Wesley's gift was his ability to organize systems that functioned and thrived and multiplied and worked. The only thing the laity could not do were baptism and Holy Communion, the two sacraments. And so the preachers would ride around on horseback and do those two things for each of these communities as they formed. And then the last um, thing we have listed as the thing that shapes our future is this insistence that not only do we have a personal transformation on the inside, we live a holy life on the outside. My grandmother, when she went on hospice care, they sent the whoever preacher had a contract with the hospice uh, people, and he came to see her, and he wanted to know if she was saved, which she found highly offensive. And uh, she said to him, young man, I wake up every day and decide to behave as if I'm saved or not. Very uh, John Wesley, right? <laughs> that she did, wasn't just saved once. She wakes up every day and lives a life that says to the world, I am a Christian and I am saved, and that means something. Uh, Over the last few weeks, we have looked backward in order to look forward we celebrated the things that we inherited from the ancient church. I want to remind you, the reverence for the table was one of those. The seasons of the Christian calendar, uh, uh, the honoring of the seasons and remembering, and the connection to the holy mystery and this uh, sacredness that we can't wrap our words around or our minds around. And then when we talked about the Reformation, we have these beautiful things that aren't we so thankful for we were given access to scripture where we can read it ourselves we were given the freedom of justification by faith and um, the priesthood of all believers these things we see manifested in the beliefs of John Wesley and then John Wesley takes these beliefs and creates this movement that says we are here to transform the world to live out our faithfulness and so uh uh Sharla and Kurt found this beautiful picture of the council oak tree. Uh, when we reorganized the Methodist Church of Oklahoma from 12 districts uh, to eight, we were trying to come up with a name. And the name for our area is this council oak that has been here for so long and was planted uh, as a representation of the tribes in our area. And, and it's so beautiful have you all ever seen like a huge tree that has fallen over and and the roots are sticking out of the ground? Often that is because the roots have a disease and then the weight of the tree knocks them over. And so they literally fall out of the ground. Uh, But as Christians, as we look at our family tree, as we look backward to these things we have inherited and we are connected, these are the roots of our faith. These are the things that we still do. We belong to the church of the little sea that connects us to each other and to God in a holy way. So no matter what our future looks like, this trunk this connection, these deep roots are our nourishment. This is where we gain our strength to serve in the world. And we hope that the last few weeks, as we have looked back, that will help you um, as we look forward into what is next and who are we called to be as we are called to be Christ-centered servants in the world. I got it all in. (laughs) Amen.